0: Hello, good evening. Welcome to our front. Tonight, we delve into the experiences of a Belgian TV star, model and new force spokesperson who faced arrest and charges for alleged falsification of documents related to her Ghana resident permit. She found herself entangled in the harrowing ordeal that included what she calls unjust treatment, denial of rights and a series of disturbing incidents during her time in custody. Thus, this conversation aims to explore the details from her arrest to detention through to when she was finally repatriated. Salima Abusi, you're welcome to our front.
1: Hi, good evening.
0: I hope you are doing well this evening.
1: I'm doing excellent, thank you.
0: So, you you are in Belgium, right? That's the last we heard from you.
1: Yes, I'm in Belgium.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And, of course... I want us to start from this basis. Walk us through the events leading to your arrest and the specific charges that were brought against you here in Ghana.
1: Yes, so um, after doing the video for the new force, uh, keep in mind I've been active in Ghana in the media space, not just in Ghana, but been active in the media space for some time, been traveling back and forth, been involved in charity work and humanitarian work in Ghana for some time. And after the video came out with me as the spokesperson for the new force, I got a call from immigration uh, to come to their headquarters Um, For some questions. So I went willingly. Um, I went uh, when they invited me a couple days after I went. uh, They started to ask me all kinds of questions about my resident permit, which keep in mind, I've been traveling with back and forth. Uh, for years. Uh, It's been recently extended by another immigration officer. It was obtained through an official immigration officer. And I never had any problems with it. So they started to question me about the permit. Um, They asked me about certain documents that I have never seen before. And they asked me questions about the new force. So um, I I I was very confused why I was there. And then eventually, after some hours of questioning, they told me I had to stay there overnight. So um, I stayed in the cell overnight at immigration, and the things that I've seen there were just, um, I don't have words for it. It was very shocking. There were so, so, so many people there. Um, I think more than 15 people from all different nationalities, Africans, Arabs, Uh, Asian people, and it it was shocking to see that some of them were already there for nine months without hearing, without lawyer, without anything, and in just inhumane circumstances. Keep in mind it was men and women um, together in the same cell. Um, you know, some of them, they, they didn't even have the chance to make a phone call. They were stuck there for months. Nobody to call, no lawyer, no counsel, um, sharing mattresses with each other. Like, it was just, it, it was it was baffling, the things that I've seen there. Um, then the, the next morning, um, I was being transferred to NIV. I didn't know where I was going. Um, they just took me out of the cell, um, then they transferred me somewhere. I didn't know where I was going, so I was just being pushed in a van, and they took me somewhere after I found out I was at NIV, um, and and that is where they told me I'm under arrest. I still didn't know what exactly for at that moment because there were no official charges. Um, so, yeah, that's how it went.
0: Mm. Now, let, let's get this appreciation because most of us got to know I mean, that you had been arrested and kept in jail for four days. We will come to that. But let people understand because we have seen you in the media space. We have seen you appear on what they call it, TV networks, uh, participating in <laughs> conversations. We have seen you direct traffic, no, not direct traffic. I help people actually at the traffic sections. We have particularly yeah. seen you go to Mepe to go and do donation. How did a Belgian woman wake up one morning and decide that Ghana was where I wanted to go to do all of these things?
1: Well, um, I actually didn't just wake up and go to Ghana one day. I represented my country for many years as an international beauty queen for Belgium. So Ghana was one of the places where I represented Belgium as Miss Belgium at that time. So that was in, like, 2017. Mm. That was the first time I went to Ghana. And I just connected really well with the people. I had a great time. I was, you know, it it was just great. It was a great experience. And I was like, you know what, I like Ghana, but I've always been involved in humanitarian work and charity work. As an international beauty queen, that's one of the things that you have to involve yourself in. You know, having a heart for humanity Is you know what what
0: you're supposed to stand for as well. Okay, I mean that that puts into proper perspective for some of us who did not know why you, of all the countries available in the world, chose to come to Ghana to do this. So now let's talk about what is the biggest accusation that was leveled against you, specifically in court. In court, you were charged with, in fact, accused of violating Section fifty two one of the Immigration Act 2000. That's at 573. And they stated specifically obtaining for yourself a student permit by false declaration. Um, The charges were actually that I
1: forged National intelligence is somebody really supposed to be kept at national intelligence if it's a problem with your permit, you know, I I think it was very clear that it was about the new force, which was all also mentioned in the charges that I was there because they wanted to investigate my um, activities in relationship to the new force so um there there was no evidence there never was any evidence presented uh, they did a house search they had access they had my phone in their custody um there was nothing to prove that i forged documents to obtain a permit um, I, I obtained the permit through an official immigration officer, as I mentioned before, and I, I don't want, I don't know too much about the whole legal aspect. I think that is something for my lawyer, Mr. Sosu, um, can answer those questions better. but there was never any evidence presented. and um, especially if you if you know that they dropped all charges, eventually then you know we can ask questions on how true the allegations are.
0: Now I, I, I get this consistently because the the people will say, I mean, why would you be interested in forging and acquiring a resident permit by forgery means to stay in Ghana?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, that is the accusation that you cannot be purporting to do good when all that you are doing is premised on a very uh, false and fictitious uh, entry.
1: I understand what you're saying but there was no evidence so i pleaded not guilty all charges were dropped there was no evidence ever presented in court so i think we can we can conclude that it just wasn't true especially when they brought into my charges that it was about the new force and if there really was something wrong with my permit how was i able to travel all these years back and forth going through immigration checkpoints even extending my residence permit for this for the second time by an official immigration officer I do I, I mean I'll leave that up to to the people to decide but I think um, everybody with, with common sense can see that it's that is a bigger picture here
0: mm. now let me get this clear were you attempting to school or were you ever in school in any public university in Ghana
1: Um, I was still deciding on taking courses, I was still deciding, but I was told that um, with my resident permit, I also could go to school. So I just went through an official immigration officer, he told me to do ABC, I gave him my passport, I paid what I was supposed to pay, and I got a resident permit in, in, you know, just to, to, I could work with it i could travel with it i could go to school with it or do whatever i wanted in the country so i never forged any documents i never had to do any such thing to obtain a resident permit somebody who's been traveling to so many countries like uh, why would i forge documents to obtain a resident permit that doesn't make sense the
0: other question though is why would you really want a resident permit in ghana
1: why not? I've been staying there for for some few years, and I I was based most of my time in Ghana. I was involved in a lot of humanitarian work, charity work, built a network there. Um, I was involved in media projects. I have a, a network of friends. Um, so why not? I mean,
0: were you intending to stay permanently in Ghana?
1: I was I was spending most of my time in Ghana because okay. I had. I, things going on and um, well, maybe maybe one day I would I would naturalize or, or I, I don't know I leave that I leave that open. but you know my love for Ghana I think, uh, I think I've always shown a great love for the country and and you know I think I contributed to society in a very positive way um, throughout my time in Ghana.
0: Now, what were the conditions like during your time in custody, and especially concerning the lack of, I mean, uh, when you... So you had mentioned you were transported. At what point were you officially given access to counsel or probably put before court? How many days were you in detention before you were officially uh, taken to court?
1: Um, So after 48 hours, the 48-hour benchmark was approaching, and I still didn't get to see my charges officially. So um, after 48 hours, uh, the people from immigration, they secretly took me away. My counsel was present at NIB at that time, but I didn't get the, the chance to have a confidential conversation with him because they always tried to deny me access to my counsel. I wasn't, I wasn't granted any phone calls. I was completely out of touch with everything and everybody. So when the 48 benchmark approached, uh, my lawyer was present at NIB. They took him into a room, and they took me away. At that point, they pushed me in a van and they, took, or, or, or in a car, and they took me somewhere. I didn't know where I was going, so I kept asking, where am I going? What's going on? Where am I going? Why, why, why can I not speak to my lawyer? And um, I, I, nobody was telling me anything, and then I saw we arrived at court, and I was like, my lawyer should be aware, like you should make him aware or you should call him or let him know that I'm here. But they refused. They just ignored me. They they weren't listening to me. They were lying to me that they were just going to file some documentation at court. And eventually they wanted to put me on the stand, take my plea and, you know, potentially let myself, let me incriminate myself. I had a counsel, I had a lawyer, and they refused to give me access to him. They refused to call him. They refused to let, let him know where I was at that point. So that was very um, inhumane. Um, so at that point, I, I uh, told the judge, I spoke up for myself. I had to speak up for myself, and I told the judge that I do have a counsel, and I want my lawyer to be present. Um, the judge was very disappointed in, in uh you know the prosecution, and she told them uh, I I needed to make a like if I want to make phone calls they have to let me make phone calls but they never even granted my phone calls until two days after, um, you know and and that means that I would have to come back the next day so I would have to stay another night in 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 the cell so that is already uh, those are already a series of violations of human rights that they deny you access to your counsel no official charges uh, crossing the 48-hour benchmark um, intentionally keeping me away in court from my lawyer um, not granting me phone calls it, it, like they try to do a search without without a warrant like all of these things are, are just straight up violations And
0: was this conduct by immigration officials or officials at the NIB?
1: They were working together, they were working together.
0: Were you transported from the NIB to the court or from the uh, immigration service to the court? Which, where did you leave to the court for the first time?
1: I only stayed at immigration for one night, then I was transferred to NIB where I was being overprotected and my case became a national emergency. Um, So from that point, uh, NIB worked very closely with uh, immigration
0: okay Now, that 's an interesting point at, at NIB and I know what you what the kind of questions you were asked at immigration is known at NIB what kind of interrogation were you subjected to
1: um, There was an interrogation, I believe after four days um, yeah, I believe it was after four or five days of my arrest, and um, they they didn 't like the fact that I wanted my counsel to be present. Um, I actually just ended up writing a statement because they kept intimidating me that, you know, my lawyer could not speak. And why am I being difficult? Why am I making things difficult by wanting my lawyer present? And when they were asking certain questions and my lawyer wanted to interject, they got very upset. They kept intimidating me. They've been intimidating me also during the house search. Like it, it was just uh, they just kept intimidating me and they, they thought I didn't know my rights. In, so, in,
0: sorry, intimidation is a big word. What exactly were they doing that to you constituted intimidation?
1: So, intimidation is not a big word here. If you look at the whole, the whole everything that happened the whole case me being intentionally swept away from my lawyer yelling at me during house searches uh, trying to uh, intimidate me by saying this will work against me if I want my lawyer present Um, uh, like trying to keep me away from my lawyer in court intentionally Um, that that is intimidation
0: Okay. I just wanted a detail of what the intimidation constituted uh, what constituted the intimidation in the first place? I- I'm happy that you gave clarity to it. Now, from the days you were invited, till it was converted into arrest, when was the first time you had legal representation?
1: Um, the third day. The third day, because I had to come back after the 48-hour benchmark. I had to stay another night, and then my lawyer was present the next day. But it was even very hard to get... Um, to to get that confidentiality, like that confidential conversation that you normally have with your counsel prior to a hearing, it was very hard to even get that. Um, So that was the first time I also heard my charges officially and it was mentioned uh, on the one hand, they they claimed I forged documents. On the other hand, they they actually uh, said they were interested in the new force.
0: Now, I'll come to that. Let's talk about living conditions in the days you spent first at the immigration's own hold-up. How was the place like?
1: Um, it, it was horrible. It was um, uh, uh, just a bunker, men and women combined. Um, like I said, there were so many Oh, the men and women
0: were together at the same place.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were together at the same place. There were people stuck there for nine months. Um, I felt at that point, I felt really bad because I knew there were people on the outside fighting for me and I knew I had counsel and all of those things, but those people didn't have anybody. There was a lady that I shared a mattress with. She was Asian. She was from Vietnam, I believe. And she was there for over a month already. And she said, I don't know who to call. I don't know what to do. Her English wasn't so good. So it, it, it it just made me it really opened my eyes it was shocking to see those things happening like it it was just baffling people sharing mattresses stuck there for 9 months without any legal representation no court case like it it was just inhumane
0: what were the sanitary conditions there
1: Um, there was a shower that was not uh, functioning very well and there were like buckets of water like a small piece of soap to wash yourself um yeah there were, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best.
0: And this was shared by all of you or you had separate uh, bathrooms for men and women.
1: Um I was only there for one night so I don't know if the men had a different shower or toilet. Um I I, I, I do not recall that but it, it was from what I've seen cuz I I was sitting in a corner and you know it's not like I was walking around the cell. So I was just sitting in my corner. I could only see one washroom and one shower.
0: What were you sleeping on, anyway?
1: A thin mattress.
0: Okay. Well, and everybody had their own.
1: No, no. I was sharing a mattress with another lady.
0: Okay. No, I mean, I want you to not compare that 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 those conditions, right, to what you went through or the conditions are the. Uh, NIB, yes, NIB place, yeah.
1: Um, at that point, you know, because you are being overprotected and it's like you're a national emergency, so you, like it feels like you're you're being treated like a terrorist almost at, at maximum security, and everything has to be followed by protocol and. So it, it was very scary. like the first time I saw the cell, I thought this has to be a movie. I, I where where did I end up here? It was just a dark bunker. Um, no windows or daylight. Um, you know when they when they closed the door, I felt so anxious because I knew like I'm really locked up here. There was one other lady in the cell with me. The smell was unbearable. I don't know how to describe it What it was unbearable. Um, there, like, there was a, a stash of mattresses, like dirty mattresses that I could pick one from to sleep on. Um, the walls were very dirty. Everything was very dirty. Um, yeah, there was like a small piece of soap to wash yourself, no towel to dry yourself. All we got was like a small face towel for the whole time being there. No change of clothes, no change of underwear, um, it, it, there was nothing. there was wow. nothing in that uh, it was it was very, yeah, like your whole humanity is just being stripped away from you and all you have at that point is the core of who you are and your mind. Um, I, I can't imagine what that lady must be going through sitting there by herself or she was there for four months already and, and I, I just felt I felt so, so bad at that point like it, it, it was it was terrifying. How many months did you how many
0: I mean I meant days really did you spend at the NIB's end
1: Um so my first night was immigration it was at immigration then 6 days um at until Sunday until the next Monday actually yeah a full week um at NIB and then before my deportation they also kept me a whole day at NIB
0: Mm now I mean how about treatment from the people you talked about intimidation and the other things were there people who were not Part of the people intimidating you were there individuals who were perhaps nicer to you and treated you if, if you want to call it professional there or if you want to call it in a humane manner uh, were there people like that too there?
1: Absolutely, absolutely and those people know who they are like I thank them for, for their humanity and um, there definitely were some people who made it a little bit more bearable um, people who did treat me with respect, um, because the things, you know, especially the immigration, the people at immigration, like the way they tried to take things from me in a forceful way. They tried to take my necklace forcefully. There were like five people like pulling me just to take my necklace off of my my neck and things like that. It, it, it was it was. It was very frightening, and if you're not a strong person, I, I can definitely believe that you would break in, in those in those moments, you know. Like, they keep yelling at you, pushing you, pulling you. and, and But there definitely were some people. And, you know, so I even remember one, one officer asking me, like, I'm sure you hate everybody here now, and, you know, you, you hate immigration and gone. I'm like, no, I don't, because, you know, I still see that certain people are, are showing humanity and they're showing kindness even in terrible situations. So I definitely don't hate anybody, and and you know, but the conditions at, at most most of the time was just very inhuman. And and all I kept saying like, why are you guys acting like this? I'm a human. I haven't been convicted. And even if somebody convicts you or you committed a crime, even if then you are still a human. With human rights and basic human needs, and you should be treated with with certain respect. You don't just yell people and deny them counsel, deny them phone calls, just lock them up like an animal, push them, pull them. Uh, you you don't treat people like that because maybe tomorrow we can meet somewhere outside, and I can I can still look you in the face and say hi, Chi. We're still human, you know.
0: You set out to an African country with many will believe noble intentions. Mm-hmm. How the developments moved from somebody who's partly directing traffic, doing donations in Mepe, to becoming somehow somebody who's locked up And mm-hmm. uh, in some conditions you have just expressed. When you sit back and reflect, how does that make you feel that this was not a worthwhile pursuit and that was a complete mistake coming to the Republic of Ghana?
1: No, I don't see it that way at all. Um, I'm actually very grateful for the experience that I've been through. Even if it was horrible, I do see the positive in it. And I think if I wasn't exposed to the things I've been through, I would never realize how bad the situation really is. And I feel rather inspired to be a voice of the voiceless who are going through similar situations. Because the truth of the matter is, if it wasn't, for me being a public figure or being European. Like, nobody would care. And there are so many people stuck in there and people who went through similar situations and and who had their human rights violated, but no one listens to them. So I rather feel inspired by being a voice for them. And I I do hope to create a positive change in that aspect. So I don't think me coming to Ghana and, and doing what I did was a mistake I mean that video that I put out for the new force it changed my life completely but I would do it again
0: mm, I'll come to that in a second I mean many will say these are the conditions that people have lived in for god knows how long you reference some of them right and that this is what we have here in the Republic of <laughs> Ghana so I mean you just had to make do with what we had as the conditions here uh, the fact that you might not have been used to that doesn't mean that it is that abhorrent the thinking here is, was it necessarily because of your experience, or you feel there is real change that ought to happen in the places you were kept and how you were treated, and how others might possibly uh, been treated too?
1: Yeah, I do think there we need change in those aspects. Like you said, there are so many people who have been going through these conditions for years and years. And, of course, we know, but once you're being exposed to it and when you're in the same position, that is only when you can really understand and really feel the pain of those people. And, you know, if if it takes that for me to to share the story with the world and let the world know what is really going on and create a positive act i would love to do then then i'm very happy to do that um i i i do think um like we should respect human rights i'm not saying this is just in ghana this is just the case in ghana or in africa i know there are so many places in the world um
0: sorry okay now I, well i seem to have had a brief uh, interruption with that if you just joined us If you just joined us, this is up front. I'm talking to the spokesperson of the New Force, that video that many of you saw on social media. Her arrest, her detention, and the subsequent repatriation. We have been talking about the arrest, detention, and conditions. I'm sure if we're able to reconnect after this break, we should be able to explore the detention and how she got in connection with this uh, new force movement or whichever grouping that's purporting or parading itself as such. After this break. Every day, people have money emergencies. I need my fees, emergency. Money, top money, emergency. Emergency, emergency. Catch it. Are you ready? Emergency. Now, there's a new emergency number in town.
1: More money, more money, challenge and
0: enjoyment. At the top life, we got. Dial star seven seven zero hash for all your money emergencies and top life. Dial star seven seven zero hash for money emergencies and get easy and quick access to your money, loans and other banking needs. Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank. Welcome back to our front. My name is Raymond D'Aqua. My guest tonight, is Shalima Abilce, who is a Belgian TV star, a model, and uh, you sure know by now that she is the spokesperson of the new force, and many would want to add at large, because clearly she's not in the Republic of Ghana. They repatriated her a couple of weeks ago, and she's joining us from Belgium where this conversation is happening. We're exploring, more importantly, her experience, because she put out something on social media talking about how terrible those conditions she suffered in, in, in custody, and also before her repatriation was supposed to happen. You welcome back. We lost you briefly, but we're happy to have you back. Now, I, I, I can explore. So at what point did, were you told that we have taken a decision to no longer prosecute you for breaching rules and laws connecting to immigration, but rather repatriate you to your country? I think there's a problem with your, if you could, yes. Brilliant. Favorite, I can hear you. Um, That's perfect. Yeah.
1: yeah, so I was granted bail, and then after a week, um, I, I, I had to appear in court again. Uh, so we were go, going to get into the legal matter of things, uh, so to speak. And uh, at that point, the prosecution uh, decided to drop all charges. And my my counsel, Mr. So Su, he he even mentioned in court. I hope it's not to circumvent the law that we are dropping all charges here because we were ready to you know go into the legal matter of things uh, since there was no evidence. Evidence was never presented. Um, then so when when we um, got outside of court. Um, there were, I don't know how many, I think like 10 or 15 immigration officers ready to you know, uh, rearrest me and somebody from immigration said, oh congratulations on your charges being dropped but we revoked your residence permit and you are an illegal immigrant right now so you're under arrest, you have to come with us and at that point just hell broke loose because normally you're supposed to present uh, a letter of revocation or a deport order in court so you can fight it we even filed an injunction before um, the courts to um, you know fight uh, unlawful deportation and they never gave us the chance to even battle it in court Um, they just took me away in a forceful and violent way they there there is a lot of footage about that circulating uh, where they just push me and pull me into a van um and and it, it was just it was just horrible. I was kept all day at NIB. I didn't know what was going on because I was like, guys if if, if you're going to deport me or you go, like at least let me know what's going on. So I didn't know. Um, there was no official deportation order. There was no official letter that said um, my permit was been revoked. Um, I, I believe um, Honorable Susu also said um, normally there should should be uh, evidence or proof that the the national security, like they, they, they are going to deport you because of security reasons or whatsoever. There was nothing like that. So I was just being kept all day again at NIB. And I just kept asking, what is going on? Guys, just tell me what is going on. And nobody told me until in the evening I was just um, being taken to the airport. And I never got the chance to call anybody, to let anybody know. Um, I believe Mr. Sosu at that point was filing an injunction. Uh, to fight the, uh, the unlawful deportation, and we never got the chance to fight it, you know. Um, so I was just being taken to the airport, and I, I, I never got my phone until I was being dropped on the plane. I kept asking, please, can I make a phone call if you guys are sending me away? Can I at least pack my stuff? I didn't have anything on me, no ID cards, no money, um, n- not even my house key nothing and and I just felt like it was very inhuman and I just kept asking please can I just contact somebody that uh you know somebody can pick me up or or get get me my stuff to the airport at least so I have something um um to to go home with Mm. and it was to me it it was just unbelievable because you know you want me you, you you want me to just step on the plane like with with nothing like you know you don't even want to give me my phone to make a call how you know it's it's just it's just very very uh, inhuman i would say
0: was any item that you gave to the police or the uh, immigration officers or the nib uh, taken permanently away from you or you got everything back from them
1: I got everything back. My phone was the last thing um, they kept from me, and and I only got that back on the plane.
0: Now, you talk about having your phone taken from you and your house being searched Mm -hmm. uh, early on. How was this done, and did they find anything incriminating to use against you or discuss with you?
1: They didn't find anything. There was no such thing as nothing incriminating was found. Um, The first time they wanted to conduct the search at my house, they wanted to do it without a warrant, which is unlawful. Um, And the second time, so the next day we went back, they had a warrant, but they didn't wait for an independent witness from my end. And they didn't wait for my lawyer to come to witness the search, which is also wrong. And, you know, the officers were just yelling at me. They were intimidating me. Um, they were trying to scare me, saying if I didn't let them go to my house or I didn't give them access, this would work against me. I was wasting their time. And, you know, it was just very disrespectful, the, the whole search, the ladies who did the search, they trashed my house. They they just uh, threw, threw my bags on the floor uh, like you know, like beauty products, like cream and stuff. They just threw it. They just opened it. Um, it was just, you know, they were just trying to be rude, I guess. They were just did, trying to. Did they to. tell
0: you what they were looking for? Did they tell I me? I asked
1: it? them. I asked them. I was like, what are you guys looking for? And they didn't want to answer me until later on, uh, the inspector said, we're looking for something that you forged documents with. And I was just like, guys, uh... My, my, my beauty creams and stuff, uh, you know, if, if that's what you're looking for, then why are you trashing the place?
0: Now, you mentioned that there was reference to your activity and the video in connection with the new force. Let's, mm-hmm. track, let's track the new force engagement from the beginning. When coming to Ghana, at what point in time did you, did you come into contact with the people behind the new force and become a voice for the new force?
1: Um, it was uh, after my donation at Mepay, um to help uh, relieve the victims of the Akosombo Dam spillage. And I just, uh, you know, I'm interested in, in everything that has to do with humanity and humanitarian work. So when I heard about the agenda of the new force, I couldn't... Um, I, I could not not support, you know, because it was so good and, and, you know, the development of the country, the empowerment of the youth. Those are all amazing things. And I was like, if if I can be part of this, I would love to,
0: um, you know. If I can press you further on that, you went to Mepé before you had contact with a new force. Yes. So, so the new force did not sponsor your donation to Mepé. No,
1: no, of course not.
0: You were not an agent of the new force in Mepay in the first place, seeking no. to exploit the good deeds you could do there uh, to the benefit of the new force. No, no, no. Okay. No, I get it. So you went to them or they came to you after this donation?
1: We met, we met. And, um, you know, we just had a conversation um, about the new force and then, you know, um, they told me it, w- it, was, it was hard getting a spokesperson or, you know, and, and I just volunteered. I was like, you know what, um, is there any way that I can help this good cause? And at that point, they said, yeah, you can be the spokesperson because I already was doing similar things like presenting programs or, or things like that. So I was like, why not? Um, I would love to, you know, help in, in, in a cause that is so positive.
0: Now, did they tell you that it was a political movement with with Nana Kwame Bediako at its head, seeking among other things to be the leader of this country? Is that what they told you?
1: I, I think that is not really important. I think what is more important is the agenda and the fact that what the new force stands for. And also, what I want to mention is I don't think a spokesperson is a political person. I am delivering a message. I am reporting on behalf. I am not a politician. I don't see myself as a politician. And I was actually surprised that me being the spokesperson, that I was being mistaken as a politician all of a sudden.
0: But was... mindful of the fact that this was a mask, and you yeah. were the first face, the first voice <laughs> that had been put to this mask and the group related to it. Were they wrong? Or was anybody wrong in perceiving that this is a foreigner seeking, among other things, to interfere in the Ghanaian political space?
1: I never said anything like I want to be part of the government or, or anything that points to me being a political person. There was never anything said like that. All I did was deliver a message. And the truth of the matter is they didn't even give anybody the chance to elaborate because right after the video came out, they arrested me. So how do you want people to make their intentions clear if you don't even give us the chance to do so?
0: Now so today I understand I understand that Nana Kwame Bediako has uh, been saying that you were not spokesperson appointed and crowned soul in the understanding we have of political spokespersons is that true mm-hmm.
1: Yes, that is true. I, I don't see myself as a politician at all. I see myself as a spokesperson and somebody with a, a heart for humanity. But I think if, if we look at the whole situation, the video was so powerful and the words I spoke were so powerful that it uprooted the nation. And I think if, um, if they would have even let us communicate the agenda or even let us do the unveiling, um things would, would have been would have been a little bit different because people were um you know uh, coming to conclusions and I, I think that I was just you know it I was just being used as a scapegoat by the government.
0: Mm. Now you put up on social media I never thought that being a spokesperson for the new force gh a movement that empowers the youth promotes the growth change and development of not just Ghana but the continent of Africa would end up in the case of violation of my human rights. I mean, for all indications, we see this as another political group in Ghana. Did you get the same impression, or you thought this was a continental movement?
1: Well, if you look at the convention that they wanted to hold, I think we can look at it as something bigger than just in Ghana. It is bigger than just Ghana. Um, the convention, I'm, I'm sure you are aware, like, there were four powerful speakers there and and four, four visionaries um, who came to speak at the convention, but unfortunately it got cancelled uh, by the government. So I do think we can look at it as something bigger. It's not just about Ghana. Um, it, it starts in Ghana, but it's, it's also about Africa and the improvement and the development and growth.
0: Now, I get that. My... There's a question that's on the minds of many. So what exactly is it about Darakwabi Bediaku or Cheddar, as I understand he's mostly called, um, that makes you convinced that any movement he commences is worth supporting by people of your elk standard, and timber?
1: Well, I think if you listen to what he has to say and his vision, I think you can not, just not not support. Um, you know, his intentions is, is the growth of, of Ghana, not just Ghana, but also Africa, and to empower the youth. And I think that is very important because um, the future is with the youth. And, you know, him standing up for that, and it's so bold and courageous what he's doing. And that is why, why there is so much pushback, because it's so revolutionary. And I, I think that deserves all support.
0: Something is just grandstanding. I mean, they have a local term for it settings. Something is just what they call it some mere representation of a sort and that is just a ruse of a kind. You have close contact or perhaps understood this uh, new force idea, perhaps more than many of us. Do you also come to the conclusion or do you, after
1: all that has happened to you?
0: Get a glimpse understanding that this is just mere grandstanding or a ruse, or if you like, the young people's term settings. <laughs>
1: uh, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking that question. Well, I think if we can uh, look at his track record, he's been doing so much for. For not just Ghana, but for for humanity. So, if you really are doubting someone's intention, look at the track record. He's been doing so many good things, and um, I, I think the new force, what, what we have shown in such a short time, uh, I do think the nation needs change, and a lot of people are asking for change, and if there's one person right up for the task, I think it's him.
0: Mm, you are convinced that if Ghana needs change, it is The very gentleman we are talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And many would make it clear that you met the man not long ago.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, We met during a donation, follow-up donation at Mete. Mm
0: -hmm. And that was enough time for you to be convinced that he is gone as a savior.
1: (laughs) Well, I think anybody with uh, discernment can see if people are genuine or not. And like I said, if you look at the track, the track record, and all the initiatives that he's been doing throughout the years to help the people, empower the youth, and you know, help Ghana grow—not just Ghana, but um, you know, the nation, like Africa in general—and and the vision that he has, I I think you know, you just you cannot deny that, you know, he is somebody with a heart for humanity.
0: So did you do any checks at all about him? I mean, it would be reasonable to expect that if you want to hitch your uh, connections to anybody, it would make sense for you to at least be in the position to investigate his background a little bit. Did you do any checks about him?
1: Of course. I mean, he's a public figure as well. It's not because we recently met that, you know, I never heard about him or wasn't aware of, of what he was doing in the country and outside of the nation, you know, all, all the good things that he's doing that he did in Turkey. Um, so I, I, I think the question here is, is more like, um, is it about the person or is it about the motives, you okay, know? Okay. Um I think I think we should look at the agenda and and the empowerment of the youth. I think that is very important. And he is somebody who really stands for empowerment of the youth. And I do think a nation like Ghana, where the the youth is rapidly growing, they need a voice and they need to, somebody to stand up for them. You know, there are so many uh, people between uh, the age of seventeen and nineteen, I believe, who are going to vote for the first time in the upcoming elections, and okay. I feel like um, he is a good representative for what the youth wants and needs, because if we look at what is going on in the country, there is not really somebody who can relate to the youth and who speaks to the youth.
0: And, and, and by this, it, it, what you really mean is the videos he's been putting out, the very things that has been said in times past from its end, but th- does it give you the impression that he has policies he has a a, a a retinue of them which will address the current situation we have on our hands for example what does he think about uh, finances and how it's being run what does he think about education in the republic of ghana how about social services how about um, uh, the elements of governance that are completely relevant and and beyond the social media engagements the things that can buck you down and get you to real governance. Are you convinced that he has what it takes to deliver those ends?
1: I am convinced, and I'm also very certain that when we give him the platform to speak on those things, that other people will be convinced as well. But the truth of the matter is, we the the actions that have been taken in the past weeks, like canceling the convention, my deportation, I think. Um, those actions prevented us from from even speaking up on those on those things that you just mentioned, and I think once the platform is given and and people are willing to listen uh, I'm, I'm sure um, people will be convinced about those points as well. Have you given up on Ghana never coming back? <laughs> I have not given up on Ghana. I feel like my work is not done yet, like I said um. Uh, I I felt really inspired uh, by everything that I've seen and I've been through. Um, I still have a lot of love for Ghana. I've been staying there for some years, you know. Um, It's still a place that I hold very dear to my heart. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be back eventually.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I mean, have you you stopped all attempts to fight this deportation order or you're still on it?
1: We are still on it and in the right time we will reveal uh, what is the next step. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I definitely want to put out my version of the story and, um, you know, uh, get justice, hopefully.
0: You launched something on social media, hashtag I am human. I mean, beyond telling your story, exactly what else is that supposed to communicate?
1: Well, um I created that hashtag because the circumstances, the violation of my human rights, the injustice, it was um, a clear a signal to the community that I want to send, like I'm a human. Even me who didn't commit a crime or who has not been convicted and I've been treated in such a way People who do commit crimes, they also are humans and they also have human rights and basic human needs that we should respect. And that was all I kept saying during my incarceration and my time at NIV and immigration. I kept saying when they were being forceful, when they were intimidating me, I kept saying, I am a human, treat me like a human, not like an animal. And I think that is a very um, powerful message that I want to put out there. And I I want to be a voice for the people whose rights have been taken away from them or or who are not being respected. So with I Am Human, I do want to create a positive movement and a positive change to bring awareness, and not just in Ghana or Africa, but globally to respect human rights no matter what.
0: There's a question about whether you were unwillingly layered. Into a movement that has plans of destabilization, or threatening the very state of Ghana, and you unwittingly join this movement, not mindful of the grander vision uh, to cause harm to the state of this republic. When you hear those things, how do you feel about it?
1: Um, I, I I think I think some people. I don't want to say everybody, but I do think. Um, there's two there's two camps like one one side of the country is so ready for change and on the other hand people are still very scared of change because they don't know what that change is or what is that going to do um, so I do understand that people are a little bit afraid of change but it's it's also it's it's also so much so needed. It's very needed and, and you know, choosing for that change and choosing for a better Ghana, it takes courage. It takes courage. So I think people shouldn't be afraid, they rather should embrace change and if we really want a better Ghana, better Africa, better life, then we shouldn't be timid, we shouldn't be afraid to speak up that we want that change.
0: Now, finally, um, your parents, there's a video of them being visibly worried about your incarceration and all of that now. Have they had a word with do about abandoning any form of association with the Republic of Ghana? What do they think now?
1: Uh, they still love Ghana. Um, you know, they came to visit me and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, they were there when this happened. Um, you know, I think it's very normal for parents to be very worried when, when they see this. I didn't want to worry them the first day, so I didn't tell them. Um, so it was only after a couple of days they came to find out what happened. Um, they, Of course, they're a little bit worried about, um, you know, me continuing to be the spokesperson. Um, I do understand that. But, you know, everybody is, is back home, and, and it it was... It was a, a terrifying experience, but I also learned a lot, and um, I, I do want to turn this into something positive rather than being a victim.
0: Message to the government of the Ghana of the Republic of Ghana on uh, conditions, how you found your treatment, and final words on that.
1: Um, I, I do think we need change in the aspect of human rights and the system when it comes to not just immigration, but you know the whole system. If we look. At how a whole legal system can be overruled by the decision and the voice of one person I want to ask the question if we really live in a democracy then and I, I do think if Ghana is uh, wants to stand for democracy then those things have to change there has to be separation of powers and you know the law has to be respected um, the law was just overruled by one person, which which just raises questions for me in terms of are we really living in a democracy? So I think we should change um, a couple things when it comes to giving people fair trial. Um, all, all the people that were stuck at immigration, um, I, I, I don't think I don't think that is. Uh, respectful and, and it's a violation of human rights. The lady who was stuck for four months at NIB now going into five months without counsel, without anything. Uh, we, we really need to change that. How much were you paid as spokesperson? How much are you still being paid? I'm, I'm volunteering.
0: Oh, I see. That's a lot of work to go to for volunteering. Many thanks to you for joining us tonight. My guest has been Shalima Abusi. She is a Belgian TV star, a model and a spokesperson of the New Force. And many thanks to you also for watching up front tonight. <laughs>